0: The Weekend Variety Wireless
1: It's raining
0: Bullshit Hallelujah. Yes, time for Sceptical Thoughts. Mark Honeychurch uh, with us and a special this week on Jehovah's Witnesses. You decided to go along. It's good you do these things.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I enjoy it as well. A lot of people don't understand how I can get fun from this kind of thing, but... That there's something about me that I just love sitting there for hours and listening to crazy stuff that I don't actually believe in. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I have done the same thing. Um, I've been to a few dos. dues. Uh, went to a guy called Bill Smith, I think his name was. It's not a remarkable name, was it? He was big in New Zealand. And I got pointed out as being um, a, an evil one. He actually point, he pointed me out in the crowd. He must have known something. Um, just, yeah, so
1: di- did he know you maybe, or was it just obvious from the way you dressed that you, you must have been more um, an worldly and less godly? That's right, yeah. I had, <laughs> I had a dreadlock that
0: was going down my back, and says, and you see these people with little rat tails, and you see, and that's the devil. The devil is part of these inside them. And, yeah, oh, it was really fascinating being in that sort of situation. Mm. Anyway, what did you find out?
1: So, yeah. So obviously, um, a couple of weeks ago, I reported back from a humanist conference, which is very much my cup of tea and my set of beliefs. Um, But this weekend was slightly different. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, I think uh, maybe twice a year, at least once a year, they have a big convention. And um, this one, I wasn't aware was going on. It actually happens close to me in Porerur. But nicely enough, a couple of the Jehovah's Witnesses that have visited me over the years at my door, they came to my door early this week and they invited me to the convention, which I thought was really kind of them. Um, and that made me feel more confident about going. I would considered walking in before... I think the last time I was there, I was there um, with my daughter at the, the events place, but I was there for swimming, so I didn't pop in. But this time it was just me. I dressed up, but I knew already that in dressing up, I was going to stand out because I have I have a secret weapon. I have an ex-Jehovah's Witness friend who does a very good job of advising me on everything Jehovah's Witness. And he said that if I was less than a full suit, I was going to stand out like a sore thumb. Right. Okay. so I put on a, a shirt and a jacket but um, but no tie, and I figured you know it's best that I'm honest and and they know that I'm not a member um, so i I popped into the um, the arena in Porrer and apparently there's about two thousand people there so it's a it's a large gathering that I think went up to Hawkes Bay and beyond, so a large catchment area for this arena, and it's a, a three day event. Started off on Friday. I missed the Friday, but I popped in first on Saturday afternoon. So yesterday afternoon, I went in with a friend for the whole afternoon. I dragged another one of my crazy friends who likes this kind of stuff with me. And um, we settled in pretty quickly, found a couple of seats. Weirdly, they they reserve seats. They take in big blankets. So if anybody ever goes to a Jehovah's Witness convention, take something like a blanket to reserve your seats. Apparently, that's the done thing. (laughs) but we got there and there seemed to be a standard format so each session was a bit of singing um the songs were kind of upbeat they felt a little bit old but they were okay and then that's followed by talks and a segment might have five or six different subtopics on one theme and a different elder would come out and give each topic which kind of helped to keep your attention because it wasn't one person droning on for an hour you know how so often in a church service you can nod off really quickly at least with this they were making it a little bit interesting different people presenting maybe one or two videos for each segment as well and all apparently i've been told tightly controlled so the videos all come down from on high from central jehovah's witnesses and there are scripts that are sent down which I think there's some leeway for just dropping in some local information. But in general, the idea is that everybody has to keep to the scripts. Apparently, there was a problem in the past where people weren't keeping to the scripts and were throwing their own sermons. in. so it seems like this whole thing is quite tightly controlled. The church really wants to know what's going on and and be in control of the message that's being sent worldwide. And from what I can tell, there are hundreds of these conventions happening all over the world. Yeah. So... That was the the theme for Saturday and Sunday, was pretty similar, singing, talking, videos. So Saturday was the first one. Wasn't so interesting, unfortunately, Um, but we started off, we were given five animals, a lion, a horse, a mongoose, a hummingbird and an elephant and for each of them there was a short video with a guy that sounded a lot like david attenborough but i'm pretty damn sure wasn't david attenborough mm. doing a voiceover talking about the attributes of the animal and then that was tied round to how these animals were courageous and how jehovah's witnesses could be courageous i wonder with this how much of this courageous idea is i i'm assuming because they're doing all their door-to-door knocking, they are told to go out into the world and proclaim proclaim the word of Jehovah, and I guess you need, need a lot of confidence to do that, and I, I think in Talking about courage as a way of just getting these people to believe that what they're doing is right, and that they need to stand up and be confident doing this. Cause
0: well, one thing imagine. I understand is that they they are very much end timers, along with the Seventh Day Adventists, the the picks kids, and they that and that means you know that the world is going to come for them, uh, come the end times. They've got to stand up and be strong, uh, and that you know this, this, this is what they believe. Yeah.
1: So that that was one I wasn't so prepared for. I have talked to Jehovah's Witnesses in the past that have talked about the world going to hell in a handbasket, you know, that things are getting worse, there's more violence. And I, I've counteracted this with, with numbers, with statistics, but they still just, they rely on anecdotes and the idea that the news shows us that things are getting worse. But yes, you are absolutely right that Um, one one theme that I saw through the two days was about their revelation about what's going to happen in the future. And, of course, they've already badly predicted the end of the world a couple of times um they're not doing it anymore it seems like they've had their fingers burned and they don't dare put a date on it anymore Mm. but they do have a lot of very specific beliefs and what i heard especially on the sunday morning was a lot from the last book of the bible from revelation they seem to think that revelation really is a manual about how things are going to go it is Um, easily their favorite book it is. And they, they kept jumping back to other parts of the Bible to support it. I mean, I'm guessing that's cherry picking. I'm guessing, you know, they, they go back to Daniel and wherever else and they look for things that support Revelation. They're ignoring the parts of the Bible that might say something that um, that contradicts oh. Revelation. But they, they've made a lot of um, connections between what's said in Revelation and where we are at the moment. So, for example, they have the wild beast, in Revelation is supposed to be the um, UN, United Nations. Mm. So the UN is not a good thing. And there is battle on the great, which is the harlot in Revelation. And that's all the world's false religions. And the UN seems like the UN at all, Um, seems to be a really bad character in their stories. The idea is that the UN is going to try and kill off all the world's religions. and. I, I don't know how they see this. I wonder whether maybe they see that an expansion of human rights to everybody and the UN's idea of trying to keep peace and give rights to gay people and everything else is going on, maybe that is kind of an oblique way of killing religions off. I don't know. But um, apparently there's going to come a time when the UN decides to do this en masse that they will they will almost succeed. They will start killing off the world's religions and surprisingly... The only religion left is going to be the one true faith and that is going to be Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Well, if they're worried about people trying to kill off a religion, they've done a pretty good job of trying themselves. There's a great YouTuber called Telltale who's uh, a former Jehovah's Witness. I don't, This isn't very long. I think it says the what needs to be said. No, hang on.
2: In end of the world predictions. They made one in like 1874. 1913, 1914, 1925, 1975, and it looks like they're preparing to make another one. You would think they would have learned from doing it the other 53 times. Seriously, these guys are out to lunch.
0: All right, 53 times, apparently. That's what he says anyway. Wow,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I I don't know it's that often, but they they do seem to still be very much focusing on the idea that these end times are coming and preparing people for the end times. Um, Apparently, it's it's all going to... It's all going to go wrong. But once there's an attack set up against this last one true religion, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to be saved without having to fight because famously Jehovah's Witnesses are not allowed to enter the military. So with enough prayer, God is going to come and save them. Satan's going to be locked away for a thousand years and they get to prepare the earth. At that point, Satan gets let out for a little while and gets to try and tempt Jehovah's Witnesses away from their faith. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, for the rest of eternity, Earth is theirs. And if they've done a good job of preparing it, it should be a paradise for them. This is in Revelation, (laughs) Mark. I'm sure there's something in Revelation. I'm pretty sure it doesn't match this closely, everything that they're saying. Um, It it just seems like, yeah, they've started reading some strange passages and they've decided to fit it to certain real world events there was talk of hailstones that were 20 kilos big and a lot of it they were saying this is going to happen and then there was a caveat at the end was but we're not sure whether it's literal or metaphorical which I thought was kind of an interesting get out clause
0: Oh that's interesting, okay (laughs) they're pretty traditionalist in as much as old, you know, the, the old patriarchy style of things and in fact Paul in the New Testament states quite Clearly, women aren't to speak in church, um, and that is that, that they take that literally here. And uh, this, is, this is just what they do. We've got a bit of audio from you from you recorded this while you were there.
1: I did, yeah, so I had my phone recording the whole time. And this is a little clip from what we were being told, sisters. If you're married, do you find that it's difficult at times to subject yourself to your husband's god given leadership. brothers? How do you feel when your wife gives you a syrup-like suggestion but it's not what you wanted to hear?
2: Young ones, do you find it easy to continue to be obedient to your parents as you grow older? To prepare for the final test we must develop the courage needed now to courageously examine ourselves and hopefully reject Selfish and independent
0: thinking, reject that. All right. Well, they're not the Lone Rangers as far as Christianity goes and man's the head of the family.
2: Yeah,
1: so if, if that wasn't clear to anybody, the audio is not great from my mobile phone, but they were talking about um, trials and tribulations and um, how hard it is. And they're talking about sometimes maybe for a woman it's hard to subject themselves to their man And um, for the man, sometimes it's hard to listen to suggestions from the woman. So there was a a definite disparity there. And then the last bit that was interesting um, that he talked about was about selfish and independent thought. Mm. Definitely not on selfish thought I can get. You know, we don't want people to be selfish. But the idea that independent thought is just wrong seems to me like that's some kind of, Stopping people from questioning the religion, um, just trying to keep them in line and and kind of keep them looking forward rather than wondering what the hell is going on around them.
0: Okay, more from the Jehovah's Witness meeting, which Mark Honeychurch went to uh, very shortly. It's 17 after 9.
3: Weekend, Variety, Wireless.
0: Mark Honeychurch from New Zealand Skeptics went to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, It was an an annual gathering, I think. Um, And Various subjects brought up. I I think they're quite regularly ones. Worldly pursuits are discouraged.
1: Yeah, so there was quite a bit of talk about um, worldly pursuits and and just being careful about being... Um, in the world, I think these are one of the the religions that i 'm not sure what they use the phrase, but they are one of the religions that seems to believe that they are in the world but not of the world, so yeah. they try not to partake and so with jehovah 's witnesses there 's no blood transfusions allowed, no voting, no serving in the military, as we said earlier, no celebrating holidays, and no marrying outside the religion there 's a whole lot of rules that I found online. Um, it seems to be quite oppressive, to be quite honest. But there, were, there was talk of politics and um, showing people being brave by standing up and saying that they they wouldn't vote. The reason given there was kind of weird. The reason that one Jehovah's Witness gave in a video for not voting was the idea that no political party is perfect and is going to be able to bring lasting peace. Therefore, why bother voting at all? And yeah, Wait me, for like, the well, kingdom
0: of Jesus. That's
1: all you should be worried about. Yeah, it's like, at least pick for the best party, the party that going to do a less bad job, even if you think neither of them are going to do a perfect job. Um, They talked about entertainment as well, that entertainment was bad, that you need to stay away from, especially when it involves spiritualism. But interestingly, looking around the room, everybody was very well dressed. So for people who were saying about not being worldly, they were all quite smart. As I said, men were in full suits. Women had a lot of makeup, um, nice hair, Gorgeous, sparkly dresses on a lot of the time. And I think my understanding is that when they go door to door, they're supposed to dress smartly so as not to stand out. But this is in a private gathering um, and they're they're still kind of dressing in a way that to me feels very worldly. And I messaged my ex Jehovah's Witness friend and I said, hey, I'm looking around and apart from mine, I can only see one other beard. And I joked saying, is this some kind of official policy? And within about 60 seconds, I got a a reply from him with a link to the watchtower um, with a nice little article that said, In recent years, in many lands, a beard or long hair on a man attracts immediate notice and may, in the minds of the majority, classify such a person undesirably with extremists or as rebels against society. So it turns out beards are frowned upon in Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Yep. um, They sound... Look. come on, they sound bananas to me, but then so do a lot of things. They have been treated badly around the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, some of the... Some of the talks that we saw on the Saturday afternoon, the videos that were played from around the world, um, they showed um, people in, I think it was Kazakhstan, whose church had been burned down twice, and uh, a few other places in which they, you know, arrested for no reason in Ukraine and so on and so forth. And it, I kind of felt a little bit sorry for them. That That's never good to have these kinds of things happen. But at the same time, at other parts of the weekend, they showed ways in which they're not willing to give other people their human rights, that they think that the same rights that they have should not be extended to people such as gay people. And um, one video they had a dramatization, which I think we've got some audio for, was of a woman who's in a farmer's market buying something. And a rainbow band is offered to her if she gives a donation, um, supporting the gay cause. And she has to stand up and be courageous and talk about her belief as a Jehovah's Witness. Here she is.
2: What's wrong, honey? You got something against them? Well, no, I, I don't have anything against them personally. So what's the problem? I respect that they have a right to choose their lifestyle, but as a Bible reader, Excuse church... me! I'm a Bible reader too! I go to church, and our church is one of the biggest supporters for this marathon. So what are you trying to say? Be brave! Displaying courage now will help me display courage in the future. Well, I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses, and we believe the Bible teaches sex is for a man and a woman who are married.
1: Intolerant people.
0: Yeah, the person that was attacking the Jehovah's Witnesses was
1: did look particularly evil. She did, didn't she? Like an angry soccer mum. Yeah. But it, it's this reframing, this interesting idea that by um, you know by having someone who's so proactively and angrily Pushing for equal rights for gay people—that to stand up against them is a courageous, righteous act—as if their anger um, overrides the idea that actually the cause that they're arguing for is a is a decent cause. So, are they going on scripture? They managed to flip it round.
0: They're going on scripture. The scripture um, informs what they believe, and they're just following that, aren't they? And it's, see, I think it's rubbish, and it's a bad thing. But that's that's what they're doing, isn't,
2: isn't it? It
1: is unfortunate. Yeah. So often, you know, religious groups who are intolerant they hide behind the scripture. We we see a lot of churches that are able to get past this and somehow manage to justify that actually this isn't what God intended and that maybe we should treat all people equally, which seems to be the main thrust of the Bible but some religious groups just get hung up on those things. And and another example of persecution that's done by Jehovah's Witnesses, that I think we've talked about once before, is the idea of disfellowship, the idea of having someone who upsets them who was a member, if they leave and if they don't leave in good standing especially, they will become disfellowship, which means that nobody in the church can associate with them at all. Um, And to me, this is horrible. And and just this week, I was talking to the Jehovah's Witnesses at my door about this, because to them, they feel it's a loving act. They feel like they're doing something positive because they're trying to save this person so they can have this new earth for eternity. Um, But to me, it just seems like they don't even have evidence that this policy is working. The the idea that you cut people off and it's a tough love that's going to bring them back to the church – I asked them and they didn't seem to think that they had numbers of how well this was doing or an idea of maybe how much damage it was doing to those that don't come back into the fold, but now have no contact with their entire family. Mm. It's it's horrible, and especially for kids, because they said that, you know, for people who are born into the religion, apparently they, they feel comfortable enough that these people, they choose when they're baptized to become a part of the church. And they say that these children are fully aware that if they ever decide to leave the church, that these are the ramifications. And I find it very hard to believe that let's say a 10, 11 year old child who's being baptized is fully aware that if they ever decide to change their mind, that their whole family will disown them. I think a kid is incapable of understanding what that actually means.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, That's, um, there's a YouTuber called Telltale. Look him up folks. Um, He's an ex Jehovah's witness and, uh, is very calm in his demeanor. He's not screaming about things. I'll just give you a little cut of what he does. Watching
2: the August 2018 JW Broadcasting episode, and I couldn't help but to react to it. For those of you who don't know what JW Broadcasting is, it's this monthly TV show the Watchtower Society puts out. They give company-wide updates, and they reveal new light and all that stuff. So let's take a look at the August 2018 edition of JW Broadcasting. The governing body member doing this episode of JW Broadcasting is called Stephen Lett. And in a minute, you'll notice his really odd tone of voice.
3: The theme for this month's program is appreciating our gifts and men. Well, Jehovah and Jesus
1: have given us a fine, well-chosen gift in the form of the elders,
0: and it's all about obedience towards the elders. It's a, uh, it's a, that's a spooky thing. But then again, you know, obedience and submission. It's uh, part yeah, of
1: a lot of religions. I heard some of that this weekend. The idea being that even if elders pass down bad rules, yeah. they they gave us the idea that it's good to learn to follow them because eventually Jehovah's going to come back yeah. and we need to be well-practiced in mindlessly following rules ready for Jehovah.
0: Okay. Hey, good work, Mark. <laughs> We've got to pull up stumps now. Uh, coming up, folks, Steve Kilby of the church. He's loose and wonderful. Thank you very much for the insight and doing the good work of going there. Mark Honeychurch, Skeptical Thoughts. Cheers. From the Jehovah's Witness, whatever it was this weekend. Cheers. The Weekend Variety Wireless. The church, a hit, unguarded moment. Familiar as all familiar
1: stuff.
3: So hard, finding inspiration. I knew you'd find me crying. Tell those girls with rifles for mines. That their jokes don't make me laugh They only make me feel like dying In
2: unguarded moments
3: So long, long between mirages I knew you'd find me drinking Tell those men with horses for hearts That their jibes don't make me bleed They only make me feel like shrinking In
1: unguarded moments
0: The Church. What a band. From Australia. One of Australia's finest and... Well, the most well known name associated with it is Steve Kilby. Uh, there's a 30th anniversary tour celebrating the 30th anniversary of Starfish, a mega album, a significant album Yeah. for the church. Steve Kilby's in studio. G'day, Steve. How are you going, mate? I'm going super. Oh, good. Okay, this is just going to be a 101 through your entire freaking life. Okay, okay. I was born in 1954, son of poor English parents. We migrated to
3: Australia when I was three. I picked up bass guitar when I was 16. At 26, I had my first hit. Now I'm 63, I'm sitting in New Zealand doing this interview.
0: What was it like growing up in Canberra? Why were you there? Bloody awful. your your parents and diplomats?
3: No, they weren't diplomats. Canberra was like eternally being in New Zealand.
0: Right. Do you know what
3: I mean? Yeah, I do. (laughs) And and just down the road was Sydney, where everybody seemed to be on holiday and having a great time. When I left school, I didn't have any friends until I moved to Sydney. I, I couldn't get anyone to listen to my music. I was making music, no one liked what I did. And I moved to Sydney, and about three weeks later, I had a million friends, and they all loved listening to my tapes. Yeah. but Canberra was really sterile.
0: The social economy of scale is important. You find m- enough like-minded people that you can actually have a group of friends for once. Yeah. It was, it was enlightening. Yeah. Peter Peters was the manager of the Manly Rugby League Club. <clears throat> oh, yeah, Peter Peters. Peter Peters? Yeah. Kind of Peter, Peter, Peter Peters. Peters. Peter Peters. I was talking to him once. Manly were playing the Warriors in New Zealand. And I said, are you coming over with this one? He says, yeah, I love the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: true. You know, it really, in the 80s, coming to New Zealand was incredible because everyone was driving Triumph Heralds. And, you know, all these cars you hadn't seen for 20 years. Right. It's, it, really, it really was very, um, not anymore. No. But in those days, it really was like 20 years. We did have a rep for that. Yeah. And yeah. Americans would say the same thing about Australia. It was like America in the 60s.
0: Okay. Can you pair apart? the music that you liked when you were growing up from that, that you think influenced you? If I liked it, it influenced me okay.
3: for sure. When I found something I liked, I would put it through my analysis and I'd go, why do I like this? What is it about this song that's making me like it and it keeps making me come back? For each song, I would figure out what it was. I'd listen to the singing and I'd listen to how it was all being done, how it was all being put together. I was sort of like a little sponge sucking it all in. And everything I liked, I still like all those things I liked. And I still go back and listen to them and go, oh, there's a baritone sax in there going. Bur-burp, bur-burp. I was listening to Get It On by T Rex for almost 40 years, or longer than 40 years. And then the other, only the other day I noticed this baritone sax going. Double trick. Is it? Yeah, so there you go. There's always something new in your favourite record. You find a song and you can listen to it forever. Okay. Better than a film or a book or a painting, you can get endless enjoyment out of it.
0: Yeah. Were you aware, celebratory, thrilled with other Aussie bands? Like, wasn't a bad lineup Saints, Birthday Party, Radio Birdman?
3: Look, I didn't really like any of them that much. Oh, wow. I thought, okay. so, no, I sort of could appreciate, especially Radio Birdman, I could appreciate them but none of it was my cup of tea not what i was trying to do and i've always wanted a certain something from my music and those people didn't provide it though i could completely respect and admire them okay i didn't listen to them at home no this is very uncool i really liked Ivor davies in flowers and then ice house for the first few albums Then he kind of went he went a bit simple mindsy he sort of like wanted to be a stadium rocker and I really liked what he was doing. He mm. was he was more my cup of tea. Yeah, and there's a band called the Underground Lovers. Okay, have you ever heard of them? No, Australian band. That one of
0: my questions. Underrated, lesser-known bands that you loved. Yeah, I think it's an important thing to yeah. ask.
3: Yeah. Um, in 1968, a New Zealand band came to Australia called the Dave Miller Set, and they did a song called Mister Guy Fawkes, which is uh, an arrangement of a song by a group, Jimi Hendrix, is getting complicated, Jimi Hendrix produced this band called Air Apparent and on their album was a song called Mr Guy Fawkes and Dave Millicent took that and recreated it in the style of kind of like Strawberry Fields Forever with sort of lugubrious cellos and kind of that weird, that voice. In the morning there is nothing
0: In the morning there
3: is nothing left But the ember- Bye. Never heard anything else say. I did that one song. I heard it on the radio. And eventually I got the church to do it at our Opera House show when we did the show with the with the Symphony Orchestra. So things I like, I always I keep going back to them and, and uncovering them and, and squeezing more juice out of them.
0: Nice. Most famously, Under the Milky Way. Some famous people recoil at oh always bringing up that tune. What about my new stuff and things like that? But one should at least appreciate and if you can celebrate songs that have served you well that are yeah. good yeah D- i do
3: i'm grateful i'm quietly grateful i'm not you know you know you go you go somewhere and some someone's really excited about that song i i can't quite muster that sort of enthusiasm mm. like but yeah like someone someone comes and says hey guess what my favorite song is and i go what is it hoping they're going to say something weird they yeah. go under the milky way And i go oh
0: but when you were in the studio and this moment happens when you've done the mix your final mix Mm. in the studio there was that Mm. moment when that happened with Under the Milky Way you would have been in the studio Mm. what did you feel ooh this could be
3: great no it wasn't it wasn't then it wasn't when we finished it it wasn't when we sequenced the album it was when Arista Records came in and they listened to all the album and then they when that song came on the whole atmosphere in the room changed and they went Clive Davis said that's a hit and then I suddenly I went oh and he said we're gonna make that a hit and as it sort of climbed up the charts it's a bit like having a child and you didn't don't think that child's ever gonna amount to something and then suddenly that child does something and then you have to go back and reappraise how you've approached it that's what happened with under the Milky Way Mm. I didn't think it was anything much at all
0: no well
3: and as the years go past though it's like the story of Jesus you know, Jesus is only there in the, in the Gospels for, for four books. And then as his story goes on and on, it's accretion. A sort of a crust of the story builds up around the real thing. Since that song came out, all these other bands have done it. Like so many people have done a version. It's won this award and it's been in this film. It's done this and done this. And suddenly the song seems so much bigger, like a snowball. It's rolled down a hill. It's so much bigger than it ever was, you know. When, when I did first listen back to the finished thing and went, oh, okay. Lower the curtain down, Memphis. Lower the curtain down, alright. I got no time for private consultation under the milky way tonight wish i knew what you were looking for Might
0: Thing, thing, an observation. Um, I've spoken with some cats from Split Ends. Mm. They went there and found, oh, we're not a pub rock band. That's what their first ever it. gig in Australia. Get out at the Oceanic Hotel
3: in 1974. I was there, and they were billed as New Zealand's answer to, to Skyhooks. And the audience are full of these kind of Aussie groupie types, are going, ah, you know, looking for another Red Simons to root. And then Split Ends walked on with Phil Judd playing this ukulele and the band all marching behind him with the makeup and the hair. Mm-hmm. And you could say all these groupies and people who were there for, to see the new Skyhooks, they were rather disenfranchised.
0: There's that thing about Aussie pub rock, and you went against that grain yeah, we went as against well. The, yes, yes. Now we felt it in New yeah. Zealand. There was yeah. that Aussie pub rock thing. You're not going to break Australia, and yeah. we don't like the Aussie yeah, pub yeah, rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. You, from the Australian perspective, went against the grain as well. What yeah. was that like? How did you break through C- there? Can I
3: can I mention the trivial fact that I'm actually English, and I was born in England. But so you got, so came I'm to, I'm to Australia a, when you were five? No, when I was three. But but. But we were like English wogs. We lived in an English part of town. We were surrounded by English. Everything we ate was English. And like of a day, I'd go out into Australia. But that was the foreign world where I could sort of negotiate, but inside myself and my family within our home, it was England, England, England. Oh. And my parents looked down on Australians and they looked down on America, even though they were only working class cannon fodder for thousands of years. They looked down on things American and things Australian and they cultivated a sort of a sense of Englishness in in me. So I've always been sort of like, I've had a foot in both camps. So I didn't look at Oz Rock like an Aussie would going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching go, and going, oh, this is a bit vulgar and uncouth. Guess what? I don't like ACDC. I think they're kind of puerile.
0: Bogans. Yeah.
3: Like, I grew up on the Odyssey and the Iliad, mm. you know, some, some of this stuff wasn't doing it for me. I was trying to bring a sort of a, a literacy and a sophistication to rock and roll. And no, they didn't always like it in the pubs at all. You know, we've had people chuck stuff at us and hate us and b- mostly be bored by us. And we were standoffish and then they were standoffish and we were more standoffish. So when we go anywhere that wasn't Sydney or Melbourne, which is almost everywhere else in Australia, <laughs> they didn't like it. Mm. But in Sydney and Melbourne, in those inner v- venues, we were uh, adored. Mm. So that's pretty hard for your head to get around. Yeah. I do a gig here and people adore me. I go pig a gig there and people abhor me. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's talk drugs. On you got the... any? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a Siggy That's up there with... with... No, it
3: isn't. Believe me. It's not. I gave, no, I, I, I when people say it's harder to give up cigarettes and heroin, I go, excuse me. Okay. I've given up cigarettes about eight times. Mm. I've given up heroin about eight times. Believe me, mm. giving up cigarettes is not harder than giving up heroin.
0: Okay. This program, we've had really frank, open debates yeah. about drugs and okay.
3: I'm an expert.
0: And people have r- run away from the radio screaming waving their arms in the in the air mm. going how can they say this sort of thing? Mm. Oh the legal- Portugal what they're doing there yeah. decriminalization yes. of the damn lot. And I used to frighten people not on purpose but it was just from experience with friends. Oh, should legalize marijuana and I said I'd legalize heroin first. What, Absolutely.
3: I've been saying this for years. Um, When I became a heroin addict, I realized what an incredible thing. You were up against the law and society. And like saying you were a heroin addict, like when you came out and if something was, I was having a problem and someone go, look, what's wrong with you? What's going on? I go, I'm a heroin addict. they go, like, in the 50s saying you were a communist, or nowadays saying I'm a terrorist with a block of uranium. In the 1990s, when you were a heroin addict, everyone was against you. Obviously, the answer is to decriminalize everything and treat it as a social and health problem, not as a legal problem. It's just ridiculous. 200 years ago, they had opium and had drugs, and people were taking drugs, and people were getting strung out and stuff. But they didn't have the law on their back. Yeah. It's hard enough being a heroin addict without having the law on your back. I've been in jail a few times over it, not doing a sentence, but arrested and chucked in for the night. And um, it's not the way to deal with it. Every time I was in jail, all I could think of was, I want to get out and have a fix. You know, it's like making me more determined to do it.
0: Yeah. that That's the stance. Mm. And I think it's the most sensible one. Yeah. Yeah. But the consequences of its illegality
3: are far uh, worse. They're far worse. Yeah, Um and like in, when I was living in Sweden, and, and Sweden had the best junk I'd ever much better than Australia. And the government over there was so bad, they weren't giving needles out. You'd use the same needle over and over and, you know, everybody was just sharing and getting AIDS and yeah. Hep C and stuff. Because uh, the government were like, good if they f- kill themselves.
0: What a murderous it, yeah. inter- intersection yeah. of events that it was. Yeah. AIDS and heroin epidemics yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah.
3: Definitely. Yeah. You'd be in a room and, like, towards the end when you haven't got much money, a whole bunch of guys would go in on it, right? And then they'd pull it up in a spoon, everybody putting the needle in, pulling out their share. You know, we can each have that much, you know? That's like really, you know, when you're hanging out, you don't care about what the consequences are. Even if you knew this fix has got HIV in it, if you're hanging out, you'll have it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's such a necessity. It's so much harder than cigarettes, mate, believe me. (laughs)
0: I want to talk about Priest Aura.
3: Priest equals Aura. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You sound like the freaking Verve almost, you know? It's a huge swim.
3: Yeah. A long time before the Verve, though. Yes,
0: that's
3: what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes, it was. There you go. I don't know how we did it. That's our masterpiece. And at the time, nobody liked it. Do you know that? Why? Because grunge was coming out, and that was the opposite of grunge. That was ornate and had lots of classical illusions and blah 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 and you know, m- reconciling mythology and drugs and civilization and love and life and death and all of this so we we'll put to this kind of languid sort of sophisticated swimming music as you say yeah. and that is, you know, people want to people want to grunge
0: What's the second track?
3: The second track is Ripple
2: I love that
3: yeah.
0: Now I do want
3: to bring a delicate matter No I'm a traveler
2: Battery
3: gets me everywhere. But you punctured my tires. You crossed all my wires. I burned your eyes.
0: on the moose and something.
3: Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Yeah. Like ha- dreaming during a hurricane. Ha
3: ha ha ha. Yeah.
0: Something like that. I haven't got you forever uh, so I just want to ask because I can't ask him. Grant McLennan uh, yes. of The Go-Betweens. Yes. Slightly enigmatic, mysterious to yeah. a lot of people. So, you knew him. What was the man like? Ah,
3: uh, he was my best friend. He's the best friend I ever had. We were such friends, he was really funny he'd go, oh Steve play almost with you for me, play almost with you, oh no Grant, oh go on I just want to hear, I just want to hear and i get out and start playing it. and he'd be giggling going, <laughs> oh, God. um, he was very polite, he he was um he the sort of guy you could introduce to your mother and he'd sort of he, he could keep up really nice polite conversation but in, inside himself he was sort of dark and churning, I think he was a, a avid reader. I never saw him eat. I just saw him drink and smoke. That's all he ever did. And coffee. Coffee, cigarettes and booze all right. the time. Ian Hogue was with him when he died. Ian from Powderfinger who joined the church.
0: Mm. Oh well, as a tribute, why not? We'll go out with a little go-betweens. Grant McLennan, Cattle and What a pretty thing. Steve, Kilby, the church, thanks very much. Okay, thanks all, for having me. Mate. details coming up. Thank you very much for coming. Okay, up. thanks. Okay. I- man, I think that's a pretty thing. I know it's not the church, it's the go-betweens, but uh, for obvious reasons, as Steve Kilby described, one of his best mates died so young, so early, just fed his head all his life. Not his body, if you get what I mean. An evening with the church begins at Wollongong's Anita's Theatre on Friday the 23rd of November. If you want to get to Wollongong, they're going all over Australia and coming to New Zealand. That is way away the easiest for probably most people listening to go and see if you want to. Uh, it is uh, the Town Hall in Auckland in New Zealand, uh, Tuesday the 4th of December, and it's celebrating the 30th anniversary of their Starfish album. An evening with the church, Starfish, 30th anniversary, Australian and New Zealand tour, November December. They'll be doing under the Milky Way and all those sort of things. Do go. Do try it. Okay. That'll do for now. This is the Weekend Variety Ones on Radio Live. We've got a fresh outsider after 11 o'clock with Jared Hindmarsh this week. Ron Moore's March. A tale of survival just in the desert in World War Two,
1: Water was gone, and they knew it was just a matter of time now before they died of thirst, unless someone could find help. They'd actually been reported presumed killed, missing in action, so there's no-one even looking for them, Graham, Tenth day or so, the sound of an aircraft engine. He swung around in a wide loop, and over them he dropped a small packet of food and a bottle of lemonade that he had in the play. Now, they never found the food, and would you believe it, the cork came out of the bottle when it landed on the sand. There was only one centimeter of lemonade left in the bottom. Eesh, say hello to 10 o'clock.